Well, our text today is Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. So if you would, take your Bibles and go there. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Lord, you are our God, and we, we are grateful to you for having called us out of the world, for having illuminated the truth for our eyes to see, for lifting a blindness that we could never have lifted for ourselves to see the truth of the gospel, the need for repentance of sin and, and faith in you, Lord Jesus, and your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. Help us now to understand, to appropriate your words this morning. Amen. Life as Christ's body means evaluating ourselves, according to verse 3, viewing ourselves humbly and viewing ourselves with sober clarity instead of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, which we are prone to do. Life as Christ's body also means embracing our membership in the body, which is diverse in its functions because its members are diverse though we all belong to the same body and we all belong to one another. Those diverse functions, Paul says here in verse 6, are exemplified by gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So God supplies, God distributes, and God empowers a variety of abilities among the members of the body for its own growth, for its edification. And we are to exercise our gifts. They are grace given to us for the good of others. And keep in mind, they don't depend on personality. Certain personalities don't have certain spiritual gifts. They aren't talents. They aren't skills or natural abilities. And as they are given by God's grace to his people through the Spirit, unbelievers don't possess spiritual gifts. These gifts are for Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, another place where Paul deals with the spiritual gifts, addresses them, and in fact, in more detail than he does here in Romans 12, 
Paul makes it clear that it is the Spirit and the Spirit dwelling among God's people and the Spirit's sovereign activity in the church that distributes these gifts. And so these gifts are for the people of God. They also don't necessarily coincide with your career or your job. You might be in a certain position at, in your job or career and be gifted in a very different way in terms of how you function within the church body. Here in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, Paul identifies seven of these grace gifts. Perhaps because they are the most common, 1 Corinthians 12 has a much longer list, in fact, it has two different lists. But Paul identifies these, as I said, maybe because they're the most common or because they are basic categories in some cases. Maybe if, if that's the case, then they are representative of gifts that aren't mentioned here. By the way, Peter does this same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Peter writes there, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see some of the same themes here. These are gifts according to God's varied grace. We are to be good stewards of them. As Paul says in Romans 12, use them. Peter categorizes all gifts very broadly here as either speaking or serving. Of course, the goal of them is that God would be glorified, meaning that when we exercise our gifts in the body, when we are edifying one another, building one another up, God's glory is put on display. Now, first in Paul's list is prophecy, Romans 12, verse 6, prophecy, and we spent some time last week looking at this gift, the gift of prophecy. And I define the gift of prophecy as God-given insight and understanding into others' lives or circumstances or the church's life and circumstances, and then that is communicated for their edification. It involves revelation, but it is not authoritative like prophecy in the Old Testament. And we looked at some passages in the, in the New Testament that show that there's something different going on there. That New Testament prophecies, according to this gift, are subject to apostolic authority. So there's something different going on there in this New Testament gift and office. And I confess that I don't see this gift, as I can see it portrayed in the New Testament, I don't see this gift evidenced in the church at least not in the way the New Testament presents it, not because the gift has ceased, but probably because it is rare, even if it was more common in the early days of the church. I also acknowledge that I could be wrong about the nature of this gift, that the New Testament only gives us so much information about it. But I'm trying to stick to what the New Testament does tell us and avoid a lot of conjecture about what it doesn't tell us. Now, if you're curious or more curious about that, you can 
find more in last week's sermon about that online, right? And if you have questions, feel free to approach me and ask. For today, we want to turn our attention to the rest of these gifts here in Romans chapter 12. And as we do, you will inevitably, first of all, think of others that you know who display these gifts. You will have, as I describe them, you will say, I know someone who's just like that. And you will think about how you've been blessed, how you've been ministered to by someone else's giftedness. You will also inevitably see yourself in some of these. You will go, wow, that sounds like me. That's how I'm driven. That's how I'm motivated. How God has gifted you. In verse 7, then, we find service. Service. If service in our serving. Originally, the word serve or service referred to table service. We still use the word server today. We used, to, we used to use the words waiter and waitress, but today, server is the more common term. I spent many years as a server, as a waiter, as I was working my way through seminary. So I'm familiar with the job, but that's where this word came from. It was from t- serving tables. Now, sometimes in the New Testament, it is used generally for the exercise of any spiritual gift. For example, back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So in other words, regardless of what the gift is, using it, being a good steward of it, is sometimes called, very broadly, serving. Serving one another. So, Someone whose gift is exhortation, when she exhorts others, she is serving others by using her gift. And service, this word, also became the standard way of describing everything Christians do on behalf of others and to the glory of God. Christian activity, Christian ministry as a whole is known as serving God or Christian service. We use the word this way even here at Crossway Fellowship when we say we want everyone who belongs at Crossway to grow and to serve. We want you to grow. We want you to know the Lord better. We want you to understand the faith better. We want you to establish roots in truth. Who God is, who he says you are, what he has promised, all of those things. We also want you to serve. We also want you to take these gifts and use them. Plug yourself in somewhere. We can use the gifts. We can serve in informal ways. We can exhort each other. We can teach one another. We can can serve one another. We can contribute or show mercy. We can do all of these things without having to sign up for a ministry. But to really use them and have them organized and most efficient and effective in the church, it helps to plug in somewhere and say, I'm going to be a part of that. I want to lead a community group. I want to serve in this ministry. So when we say here at Crossway, we want to see you grow and we want to see you serve, that's what we're talking about. We're using serve in that way. As a spiritual gift, service is defined as the drive and enablement to tangibly meet practical needs. 
the drive and the enablement to tangibly meet practical needs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul calls it the gift of helps. The gifted servant is moved to do things on behalf of others, helping paint a house, providing a meal for someone who's ill or for new parents, brewing coffee for Sunday morning, mowing a neighbor's lawn, making sure a visitor has a seat and a bulletin. The list is never-ending. I believe God has gifted so many of you here at Crossway to serve because there's so much to be done. There are so many needs. There always are. Now, all of us should serve each other, right? Each of us is called to help one another. You know, Jesus established this in John chapter 13, didn't he? He had the disciples in for their last meal together, and Jesus took off his shirt, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he grabbed the water basin, and he went around and did what? He washed all of his own disciples' feet. Peter even protested. said, what are you doing? This isn't appropriate. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. Peter said, well, just dump it on me, then wash all of me. Jesus said, no, too far, too much. So let me wash your feet. But then he gave him a lesson at the end. But Peter's reaction was because Jesus was taking a humble servitude, a role. And Jesus said, I'm your teacher and I'm your master. And you're right. That is my position. That is my role. I'm the Lord. And I washed your feet. And what I've done to you, you do to one another. So we're all to serve one another. But... Listen to how one writer puts it when it comes to this gift of serving. This gift consists of an unusual ability to know how people's temporal needs are best met and of an unusual skill in meeting those needs. Not every Christian has that know-how and skill. Every Christian, when called upon, should be willing to help in the best way he or she can. Yet those with the gift of serving are more apt in rendering that kind of help. Great observation. So the purpose then for this gift, as I would put it, is that God has given servants to the body so that members may experience God's love and relinquish self-sufficiency. To give up always having to be your own person and do your own thing, we need each other. And those who serve remind others that we are in need of being served. Those gifted to serve do not serve to exalt themselves. In fact, I know many who are gifted in this, with this gifting, and the last thing they want is spotlight. Those who receive service on the other side of it then Those who are served do not experience self-exaltation either. So God in his wisdom then has gifted some of us to serve with a gift of serving. Likewise, he has gifted some of us to teach. Verse 7, teaching. The one who teaches in his teaching, let him use that gift. Now, the gift of teaching 
is the drive and enablement to understand, explain, and instruct people in divine truth. The gift of teaching is the drive and enablement to understand, explain, and instruct people in divine truth. Those gifted to teach are given to grasping, arranging, and presenting revealed truth in an organized manner so that the truth is made clear and meaningful. That's really what the gift of teaching is. But the gift of teaching is also instruction. The gift of teaching involves what to do, how to change, and how to live according to the truth that is explained and made clear. Now, the way this gift is exercised will vary greatly within the church. For some, it will work itself out in a public setting, in a large forum. For some, it will mean the full-time ministry of preaching God's word to God's people. And I believe that preaching pastors need to have, to some degree or another, this gift of teaching. That's why Paul in 1 Timothy 5.17 points Timothy to those elders who work hard at preaching and teaching. They need to be able to teach and explain the scriptures. In fact, a preaching pastor, that is his primary responsibility, is to explain the truth and instruct in it. Some with the gift of teaching will teach in seminaries or Bible colleges or Sunday school classes or community groups, but they will teach. They will be explaining. Now, just to illustrate this from the New Testament, we see that Paul was a teacher. In Acts 18, verse 11, he settled down in Corinth for 18 months, the text says, teaching the word of God among them. And this was typical of Paul. This is what he did. He would go in and he would preach and teach. On the other hand, we see Priscilla and Aquila, a Christian couple in the early days of the church. They were also teachers, and they had a teaching ministry to the young Apollos, who was a gifted speaker, preacher, apologist, and teacher. In the same chapter, Acts chapter 18, verse 26 It tells us that they took Apollos aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, it doesn't say there that this was a gift of teaching, but they are illustrating that gift. And it certainly shows that this function of how Paul exercised this gift of teaching in a larger public context, but for Priscilla and Aquila, it was a private individual context where they were helping another teacher better understand the gospel, the truth. So God then has given teachers to the body so that members may grow in their knowledge and awe of who God is and God's will, what he has revealed. And fundamentally, teaching brings doctrine to bear on life. The word doctrine means teaching. A body of doctrine is a system of teaching that forms a standard of belief. Doctrine is not just academic. It's not just book study. It is understanding and grasping truth to live in a certain way. We sang about it this morning, the hymn we sang, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid 
For your faith, where? In his excellent word. Doctrine forms the foundation of the Christian faith. This is why the New Testament says things like, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. That's Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So doctrine is the foundation of Christian faith. Without doctrine, there is no Christian faith. The Christian community is founded on the revelation of divine truth and grows by the consistent proclamation and explanation of that truth. That's what teachers do. In whatever venue they might teach, at whatever age they might teach, to whatever age they might teach, or whatever group of people, the teacher is to be proclaiming and explaining truth and instructing. All right, so well, still others in the body of Christ are gifted to exhort. Verse 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. So there is a gift of exhortation. And the gift of exhortation is the drive and enablement to compel people forward in their Christian walk. The gift of exhortation is the drive and enablement to compel people forward in their Christian walk. It has the idea of urging, of compelling. Paul uses it right here in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you. This is the same word. I exhort you. So exhortation and encouragement are often used interchangeably, but really the word exhortation is a broader term. It may be encouragement to someone who is downhearted or anxious. It may be a word of rebuke or correction to someone who is trapped in sin Sometimes it is the stirring of a fellow believer out of apathy, complacency. All of these are examples of exhortation, helping fellow believers overcome sin and doubt and discouragement to persevere. Exhorters are driven and enabled to persuade the will of people toward change and growth and perseverance. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with this kind of person? You're out for coffee, you're out for dinner, you're in a small group, you're hanging out after church, and as you talk, you feel convicted about a lack of passion or a lack of obedience in your life. Or you find yourself just fired up about reading your Bible, devoting yourself to prayer. Chances are you've just been with someone gifted to exhort. God has given exhorters to the body so that the members may pursue God with increasing fervency. See, God is glorified when you hunger after him. God is glorified when you prize him above all other things and pursue him in that way. God has gifted some in the body to make others hungry spiritually to overcome sin, to persevere through hardship, 
and to remain fervent in pursuing him. That is the gift of exhortation. The Holy Spirit has given some then to prophesy, some to serve, some to teach, some to exhort, and next, some to contribute. Verse 8, or give. I call this the gift of giving. The one who contributes in generosity. Did you know this was a gift? It is. The gift of giving. Now, there are a lot of ways members of the body can give of themselves. Time, you can give of your talents and abilities. Everyone who serves gives in this way. But the gift of giving, this special divine enablement, is the drive and enablement to sacrificially give of material resources to God's people and purposes. The gift of giving is the drive and enablement to sacrificially give of material resources to God's people and purposes. This may involve, and most often does, giving money, funds. But it also includes providing a meal to someone, or opening their home up, showing hospitality. Paul actually, in a few verses from now, in verse 13, is going to command us to show hospitality. But those with this gift of giving or contributing, they will be the first to offer. Givers are those who are skilled at showing hospitality. And don't assume that this gift is for people of means, necessarily those with what we might consider a lot of money. That's not always the case. Now, many times I believe God does gift those with wealth to be givers, and there are many examples in the church down through the ages of that gift being lived out. But I also believe he gives this gift to many of average or little means. Now, that's relative in a scale in our culture, right? In a, in a country like ours that is so blessed with so much material wealth. But even within that context, on that relative scale, there are many, I believe, with average or little means that God gives this gift to. As a matter of fact, I have a very good friend who would not be considered monetarily wealthy on the world scale, but both he and his wife are gifted givers. Now, I said, I gave this illustration last week that when we talk about the distribution of the spiritual gifts, it's much like a painting where the Holy Spirit comes through and he, he paints every individual uniquely. This couple, I mean, they just got a lot of giving on their canvas, so to speak. Their family home is a thoroughfare for people with, without a place to stay. Whether they're traveling, people they know, people they don't know. They are the first to provide a meal. They're the first to lend their vehicle to someone in need. And they often do this at great personal cost. Now notice that I say givers sacrificially give to God's people and purposes. I believe the Holy Spirit makes these two matters close to the hearts of those who are gifted to give. Number one, the welfare of people. And number two, the furthering of the gospel, the growth of the kingdom. So the purpose then of this gift is that God has given givers 
to the body so that the members of the body may experience God's provision and be filled with faith and gratitude. Faith and gratitude. You may, you may think, you may recall a time that you've been the recipient of someone who was a giver and how your faith was built up, how you were encouraged by that, how you were reminded that in your need, God supplied through somebody else. Probably someone with the gift of giving. The purpose of the gift, of course, is not the recognition of the giver, but rather that God be exalted as the all-sufficient provider. Nothing fills the giver with more joy than to hear the recipient of the gift lift their voice and say, God is faithful. God has met our need. May God be praised. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul makes this point about giving. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Those who are gifted to give will give cheerfully. Likewise, as you can see from these verses, this matter of giving is one for all of us to consider. We're all called to give. And really, in each of these gifts, if you've noticed, I've pointed out that we're all called to do them to some degree or another. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, See that you abound in this work of giving also. So the ministry of the church couldn't go on if all the giving were left to those who have the gift of giving. Nevertheless, there are those who are specially gifted to give. And the exhortation to the giver here is give with generosity. Give with generosity. The faithful exercise of your gift will be evidenced in your generosity. The generosity on part of someone who's gifted to give reveals an implicit trust in God's provision for you as you understand God's will that you provide for others. If you give stingily or reservedly, you squander what God has enabled you to do. So just as the Holy Spirit has gifted some to prophesy, some to serve, some to teach, some to exhort, and some to give, he has also gifted some to lead. Verse 8, leadership. The one who leads with zeal. So the gift of leadership then is the drive and enablement to organize and direct the members of the body to accomplish the mission of the church. The gift of leadership is the drive and enablement to organize and direct the members of the body to accomplish the mission of the church. The leader has the ability to step back and see the whole picture. The person gifted to lead sees how all of the ministries of the church relate to each other. This person can prioritize decision-making. This person is able to help people identify their spiritual gifts and where they ought to exercise them. The word leads, the one who leads in Romans 12, 8, is the same word used in 1 Timothy 3, 4 to describe how a man is to function in his home. 
He is to manage or lead his own household well with all dignity. Now, some of your Bibles there in 1 Timothy 3 might say rule over or govern. But the idea is to lead in an orderly way. This is probably the same spiritual gift that Paul calls administrating in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, where he uses a different word, a word that means administrate or steer or guide. These gifts, administrating, leading, these have to do with steering and guiding the church. God has given leaders to the body so that the members may work together efficiently to fulfill the mission of the church in this age. Those gifted to lead may become elders in the church. They may serve as Sunday school directors or ministry leaders. A lot of times they are people who have vision for the church. They are the ones to first take on organizational and administrative duties They understand the most efficient way to get things done, and they are usually overworked. That's probably true of all of these gifts to some extent. Perhaps this is why Paul's admonition to gifted leaders, though, is to exercise their gift with zeal. Maybe the temptation for leaders will be to to flag and give out in their passion to lead. Without gifted leaders, the church would have little direction. We would all be serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, but we would be scattered in our efforts. God has gifted some to lead, to draw all of those strings together so that he is glorified in the mission of the church. And so that's the gift of leading. Once again, you're probably thinking of certain people that you know who are gifted in this way. Maybe it's yourself. Lastly, we have the gift of showing mercy, verse 8. Mercy, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the entire phrase, does acts of mercy, is actually all one word. And we don't really have a single word equivalent in our English language. But it would be something like mercify, to mercify somebody. Something like that. The gift of showing mercy or mercifying is the drive and enablement to ease pain and anxiety by caring for those suffering physical or emotional distress. Okay, the gift of mercy is the drive and enablement to ease pain and anxiety by caring for those suffering physical or emotional distress. Have you ever been cared for by someone gifted in showing mercy? Their words are kind of like cool water in the desert. Their reassurance is like a soft place in a hard life. This enablement is the skill to say the right words at the right time. It's the enablement to absorb, to help bear another another's burden to absorb another person's suffering, empathy. The gifted mercy shower takes burdens from shoulders. Mercy might be shown in a question, no really, how are you? 
There is a constant attention to others' welfare, especially those who are sick or discouraged or suffering loss. It may come in the form of an arm around the shoulder and a tear in the eye because somehow this person knows. Somehow they know. They know and they feel what you're feeling. That person has the gift of mercy. God gives mercy showers to the body so that its members are comforted and know God's sustaining grace in times of trouble. Times of trouble. Those who show mercy are to do so with cheerfulness. Perhaps Paul considers those who are gifted in mercy to be susceptible to feeling used or taken advantage of or tempted to be bitter in spirit or something. Mercy is not to be shown begrudgingly or out of a sense of obligation, but willingly, cheerfully. So here we go. So here we have these gifts. And I've kind of run through them quickly, trying to just give you little vignettes, if you will, about these gifts. But I want to go back and consider these phrases that Paul uses to follow each of the gifts. In proportion to our faith for prophecy, in our serving, in his teaching, in his exhortation, and then the last three are followed by adverbs in generosity with zeal and cheerfulness. Because with these qualifiers, Paul is emphasizing really two things. First, he is guarding us from neglecting the use of our gifts. If you are gifted to serve, then serve. Don't sit on the sidelines. If it's teaching, then look for opportunities to teach. However you're gifted, exercise it accordingly in the realm of that giftedness. And you know what? If you neglect your giftedness, the body feels it. The local church knows it. They might not recognize, oh, you know what? If such and such were exercising that gift that they have of X, Y, or Z, then we'd be doing better. I don't mean like that. But the body feels it. The body misses the contribution, the service of someone using their gifts if that person neglects their gifts. So first, he is guarding us from neglecting the gifts. And that's really his point in verse 6, isn't it? Use them. Use them. Secondly, I think Paul adds these phrases to reinforce for each of us to rejoice and be content in the ways the Holy Spirit has gifted us. Don't compare yourself to everybody else, and don't prize some gifts over and above the other gifts. And this takes us right back to verse 3. Each of us is to think of ourselves not more highly than we ought, but to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Paul was laying a little groundwork there before he starts listing the gifts. Some of you know how you're gifted. Some of you have been believers for a long time. You've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Maybe you know what your gift is and you've been using it. Maybe others of you are wondering what your gifts are. You're in a a discovery mode. As I mentioned last time, there are some helpful tools out there that can be a part of that process, even if they're not foolproof. They can help you think through, what is my giftedness? 
Um, one of our elders, Carl Poteet, actually teaches a curriculum that includes a study and an assessment of spiritual gifts. So I'd encourage you to, if you're, if you're working through that, to approach Carl sometime, talk to him about that. Maybe we can even get him to teach that curriculum sometime soon. But let me just suggest two basic ways of identifying where you're gifted and where to pursue, to, as a jumping off point, where to pursue ministry within the local church. First of all, what brings you joy? What brings you joy? If you start doing something within the church in terms of ministering and trying to build others up, and it's drudgery, it's probably not your gifting. Now, that doesn't always mean you shouldn't do it. We all serve in ways that are needed at times because those things are needed. That includes everybody in the church body. But pursue things that light you up. Pursue things that bring you a sense of satisfaction. You know at the end of the day you've been serving in the church, and by serving, I don't mean the gift of serving. I include it, but I mean in this broad sense. You've been giving of yourself. You've been serving in the body, and you know the Lord has been using you to help other people. Pursue those things that light you up, that bring satisfaction. Okay. Secondly, pay attention to others' confirmation. Outside perspective is always helpful. It might even be best. I ended up in full-time ministry as a pastor preaching and teaching because other people, when they gave me an opportunity to teach, were often saying to me, are you going to teach? Are you going into ministry? And I was an English major in college. I had no desire to go into ministry when I was in college. In fact, it took the Lord two and a half years between college and seminary to bring me to a place of saying, yeah, I think that's where the Lord would have me go and what he'd have me do. But a large part of that process were other people in my life, especially leaders, men that I looked up to, saying to me, you have a gift to teach. You need to be teaching. You need to be pursuing ministry. Even to a point, a pastor came alongside and said, hey, if you decide to go to seminary, I'll give you an internship in the college ministry. You can come and help lead and teach and so on. Outside perspective is often more valid than even our own self-perspective. Others will see it in you. Now, it might be formal and it might be deliberate where they say, you know what, I've, been, I've just been watching you. I've been watching you exhort You've come alongside people. You've really had a great ministry with this person or this person, and their life has changed because you've been, you've been in their life, discipling them. And this word, this gift, exhort, I think we use a lot, of, is the real gift behind a lot of what we call discipling or uh, counseling, biblical counseling, those kinds of things. You've been in somebody's life, and you've helped them progress spiritually. I see that. I think you're really gifted in exhortation. It might be a passing comment. It might be something like someone's not trying to be deliberate at all, but go, man, you just, when you show up and help serve and do this, everything changes. You just, you're all over this. 
Those are the kinds of confirmation. Pay attention to those things. They will probably coincide with the things that bring you the greatest joy and satisfaction. Whatever you do, though, use them. Give of yourself. The point of all of this is that God be glorified in his church, isn't it? His unsearchable wisdom is displayed. His unfathomable ways are known when we use our gifts. How important is it that you understand spiritual gifts or value knowing what yours is? Well, it's as important as it was for the Holy Spirit to inspire it in Romans chapter 12. As important as it was for the Apostle Paul to pen it. Each of you has gifts according to God's grace, the grace by which you were saved and brought to him, the grace by which you were gifted to build up one another and bring God glory in this age. All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray that these words of yours will have lasting impact even here at Crossway Fellowship as your people humbly and with joy seek to to do what you have called us all to do, which is to build one another up and put your glory on display. Lord, we trust that you will help us to grow, that you will help us to know how we are gifted, and most importantly, that you will empower us and energize us to do so. In your name, we commit ourselves and ask these things. Amen. Amen.